Hello and welcome to episode 16 of Paper Tuesdays with Michael Dwyer and Mark Halpin. I'm Mark Halpin. And I'm Michael Dwyer and it's such a pleasure to welcome uh, honorary Kildare sisters and uh, broadcaster extraordinaire Keith Walsh. Keith, how are thank, you? Thank you very much, Mark and Michael. How are you guys? Oh, we're fantastic. Thanks for agreeing to come on with us. Um, you're in lockdown at the moment. How is it in Kildare? Yeah, uh, the rest of the country are laughing at us poor lily whites here in Kildare, and uh, I feel like we're we're like the leprosy county, you know. We're <laughs> we uh, if we leave the county at all for any reason, it has to be a very good reason, but also we have to carry a bell with us and shout "unclean" as we go, uh, <laughs> just to uh, just to alert the alert people from other counties that we are unclean and we might have we might we might have the plague. I think. Uh, I think we're renaming the county the Plague County, uh, <laughs> but uh, but also I think maybe we should we need to look at going out on our own as an independent state. Um, yes. I'm already working on our own currency, uh, the Lily White um, pound, and uh, we're thinking of aligning ourselves with uh, with, with with England actually because they they seem right. to be doing all right. They seem to have things. <laughs> they seem to have everything sorted over there. <laughs> but you're from Longford originally. Uh, how long are you in Kildare? Oh, I moved to Kildare when I was about fifteen. Um, okay, and you embraced the Lily Whites. Yeah, well, my wife is from here, and, and also I live here, so it's always good to pretend that you really love where you live, uh, because then the, the people that you've you're trying to ingratiate yourself because. It's very hard to be a blow-in in Kildare. They don't take to us very uh, quickly. So you have to really, oh. really, really doff your cap and uh, and bend the knee to the Kildare locals. So I'm being, you know, I, I do it over the top uh, how much I love Newbridge and Kildare just because I want them to like me. Uh, but I'm here, I'm here 25 years. So, you know, I'm starting to settle yeah. in now, you know. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just about. That's fair enough. Keith, we'll uh, talk more about your uh, life and uh, in broadcasting and everything else in between. Uh, but we'll, we'll get now to the parish of the week, and this week's parish of the week comes from Ga- or not not Ghana, the Irish News, and there is uh, it's a story about the Ard Glass community in County Down, and they've welcomed twenty fishermen from Ghana who've been learning Gaelic football thanks to the Sound community there. Um, really, they've helped them integrate into the community. They recently had a fun session with Gaelic football training. A along with African food and music. And most interesting about this story is the fact that uh, the GA club post-lockdown is going to provide the club's changing rooms to them because at the moment, 30 of them have been sharing just one shower and a washing machine. So it's extraordinary, really, isn't wow. it? Yeah, what's most extraordinary about this whole thing is that they managed to get 20 lads down to the field for training. That's good. That's good. I was, when I read this, because uh, you sent me these stories in advance, I was going... Is this are these Ghanaian fishermen and there's a club somewhere in Ghana and <laughs> I was I was picturing a GA club in Ghana. I was going, how did that end up there? Who's over there setting up a football team? And I thought, well, they're right to get the fishermen involved because they'd be hardy and they'd probably do a good job up front a few of them, you know. Yeah, um, yeah and they would yeah. be well used to the net. Oh, <laughs> no, no, that was good now. Very good, very also, good. Also, in this article, it said all them lads were working in downtown. And I'm not great at geography now, but I didn't know there was a downtown, which also <laughs> implies that then there is a downtown, downtown. Downtown, downtown. <laughs> down, downtown, down. Are you going uptown, down, downtown? Up, up, down, downtown, downtown. Uh, that's good. But it, I, on a serious note, isn't it nice to see that? Because there's a, if, there's a few... Um, sort of ne'er-do-wells knocking around Ireland saying it's bad that these people are coming to our country and it's great to see that camaraderie and uh, Irish people helping out people 
from other countries. On a serious note, just to be serious for a moment, you know, it's a good oh, thing. Oh, you did, right, Keith, and, and I, I couldn't agree them. more. I like um, a lot of Irishness comes from. I think the harp isn't actually originally Irish, and yet it's our national emblem. You know, like we're a nation that survives on bringing people and traditions together, aren't mm. we? Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're very. Um, I think St. Patrick is the patron saint of Nigeria. Really? Yeah, yeah, totally. Didn't I know. know I, I know. I sound like I'm joking. It's just the way I speak. <laughs> <laughs> Leinster leader, Keith, it's uh, your local newspaper. And Newbridge woman, Jacinta O'Brien, do you know Jacinta? I've heard of her. Uh, that's what you say. That's what you say in Newbridge when you don't know something. <laughs> I've heard of her. Jacinta, yeah. One of the O'Briens. Yeah, she's a, uh, one, the of one, the the one of the One of the downtown O'Briens. Jacinta, <laughs> <laughs> I probably do, you know. Yeah, well, she has the tallest sunflower in Kildare. Well, so she says, one of the old rays. She, she, it's 13 feet in height and she planted it in lockdown and um, the wet and humid breader has helped it grow to a height of almost four metres. So the Leinster leader has given Jacinta the spotlight and they've also called on their readers to send in any pics of any larger sunflowers and you can email them to news at leinsterleader.ie. They're hunting out great stories there. Um, so have you seen the sunflower uh, there, Keith? Well, I, I think know? this is, I haven't seen any big sunflowers now but I think this just goes to show you what's going on here in Kildare we're locked down the reporters can't leave the county and they're literally straight from the bottom of the barrel for stories uh, tall sunflowers you should want to be careful someone would nick that yeah someone would just out, just out of sheer jealousy rob the tall sunflower and not do anything with it or not like you know not keep it just nick it and throw it in the yeah. ditch you know just so someone else can't have something nice especially like, you know, with the COVID and all that, we're starting to get a bit, you know, we're, we're starting to turn on each other. And uh, right. if we see someone with something nice like a tall sunflower, we'll rob it. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if I didn't rob it today, now that I know it. <laughs> I'll come back on the show next week with the flower. <laughs> Congratulations to Keith Walsh. Who we just on this amazing tall sunflower. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We could do with that actually because we gave away a rose plant in a riddle competition last week. So I tell you, I might take that, okay. take you up on that offer. I'll rob, yeah. it, I'll rob it just for the show and give it to you and give it away. <laughs> thanks, Keith. Thanks. Um, did you take up any abnormal habits? Well, I suppose planting sunflowers isn't too abnormal, but did you take up anything unusual during lockdown? Oh, God. Abnormal habits sounds like something the priest might say you're not allowed to do because you go blind. Say that to fall asleep. <laughs> On your hand, even uh, a box of <gasps> tissues and um, <laughs> no, not really. No, we started nothing abnormal. We, we did a lot of running and a lot of uh, outdoorsy stuff. But no, I didn't. I didn't get into growing plants. Um, right. Uh, like, no, no, we're very we're very sensible. Yeah. Um, we just we just went running every day. My wife and myself did did manage to. During proper lockdown, this is secondary lockdown, which is kind of shit lockdown. The first lockdown was, was good lockdown. We were all sort of, we were all in it together. This is mm. shit second lockdown because it's just us and Kildare and it's kind of a half-arsed, half-arsed uh, lockdown. So it's not as exciting. But in the first proper lockdown, we ran five kilometers every day. As soon as lockdown was over, we stopped. You know, it's a, it's a weird thing, you know. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And people don't have the... Would you have done runs, like 10K runs or mar- half marathons previously or anything like that? Yeah, I would have been into running a lot. And then once the lockdown happened, we were like, OK, we need, you know, you sort of like, we, we became very, very sort of uh, regimental, almost like the Chinese. We were like, OK, up in the morning, you know, 
cold shower, do your 5K. You know, I think we were, it was almost like we were preparing for to fight COVID, you know. Uh, <laughs> everybody, everybody. You wouldn't be in, far from the Cora. <laughs> yeah. But everybody was in it together. We were all going to be the, as yeah. fit as we could and as healthy as we could. And, we were, and if COVID came, we'd fight them with our, with our bare fists. So mm. it was that kind of mentality. But uh, now this second lockdown is shite. So we're not doing anything. We're just mostly eating shite and, well, and wanking. <laughs> well this uh, yeah yeah i we've got very dark and negative there and i'm sorry, sorry but sorry, we're gonna sorry. have to go no 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 I'm t- no i'm not at all but we're actually going to have to even go more serious now oh, um no. into ruined. the leinster express story uh this i've one... ruined your segue i'm sorry no. <laughs> no no this story is just it's the most serious local newspaper story that i've ever come across in my 16 episodes of gathering newspaper stories for paper Tuesdays. this oh. is fuzzy the cat from leinster express the fuzzy files fuzzy files yeah yeah um there's a lot of detail in this so if you are of a sense of a nature you might skip for the next five minutes uh, this is a I story think the wanking about fuzzy. i think the wanking would have put them off anyway <laughs> <laughs> i think anybody sensitive is gone they're gone now. Okay. And those of us still here are wanking. <laughs> Someone's getting off on us, yeah. <laughs> Flood, turn this off. <laughs> well, oh, sorry, gosh. sorry, Michael. No, <laughs> don't apologise to me, Keith. Apologise to Fuzzy's owners. <laughs> Fuzzy's owners um, have come forward anonymously to share the story and they've looked back on CCTV about how Fuzzy, the nine-year-old cat, lost her life and it was in a 45-second frenzied attack in her front garden. The incident unfolded with um, a lot of... Uh, the cat leapt onto the fence uh, but one of the dogs pulled her back down. Apparently the owners say there have been two similar cat killings there recently. Um, and even the dog owner couldn't reprimand the dog properly after he had killed the the cat. It was a pair of roaming husky dogs that killed this cat. Um, her spine, back legs and ribs were broken. She weighed just four or five pounds. And now this incident has taken a severe toll on the family. There, there are quotes... You can't laugh during No, this. I keep the face is making me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> As a face of... Con- of what? What the hell? <laughs> Go on, continue. Yeah, the quote, I'm broken inside, I had to take time off work, I've cried every... Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I've cried every day since, it was so cruel and brutal, like a murder. And what I find ironic about this story is the fact that the cat owners have a rescue husky themselves, and they say that the only problem when, when these dogs become savages is when they're not walked enough. So these dogs haven't been walked enough, and they took out all that anger anger even on poor little Fuzzy the, Fuzzy the cat yeah that's pretty fuzzy. pretty tro- it'd be a terrible thing to witness wouldn't it they would yeah. yeah yeah especially when like this this pat seems pet even seems to have like just have absolutely um been adored by their owners by Puzzy's owners uh, they've paid tribute to their intelligence and adorability and uh, I love uh, well not love but the most outstanding piece of this terrible tragedy is contained in the final paragraph her owner said we don't want the dogs put down just taken from their irresponsible owner I'm not going to stop until I get justice Fuzzy deserves that yeah well at least if if the name of Fuzzy lives on in the, mm. and maybe Fuzzy might know that the dogs got walked every day and that was <laughs> that was what came with Fuzzy's demise but it's God I mean people get like it's I, I wasn't a dog person at all and I never really got the whole 
uh, do, uh, pet owner thing, you know, that people would be obsessed, you know, if their if their pet went missing, or if they're, and I'd be like, oh, but now I have a dog, and I like, Jesus, I can't imagine nothing happening. It's amazing, isn't it? Once yeah. you once you get once you, I've I've just become like uh, I've become like a slave to our dog. Like anything the dog <laughs> the dog needs, I will do. I I'd actually get out of my own bed and let the dog sleep in the bed if. If it wanted to sleep on my side of the bed, uh, it's, yeah, it's it's amazing how quickly it can turn into a dog lover, a pet lover. And it's their level of communication, isn't it? They're not mm. saying something, but you know, they might be, or what are they thinking? Or what are they you thinking? even said last week? What do they call me? Yeah, what do you reckon your dog calls you? Oh Jesus, um, God, God. Yeah. <laughs> I. Oh, that's my wife. The fat man with the ham. What's that? <laughs> the fat man with the ham. I reckon my dog called me. That lad. The lad with the food. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I don't think you get the same thing from cats as dogs, do you? Well, I don't, but these people definitely do. I can, I can, yeah. I can attest to that, I think. We had a cat who um, ran away. Uh, she was kind of half feral, and but she stayed with us for a while, and then she ran away, and she kind of comes, she came back. We, it was weird. It was, uh, I think it was last winter. It was dark and we were looking at, we just, there was a cat on the windowsill and it was the, the cat that had gone missing and we hadn't seen in a whole year. And uh, we tried, we, we, we got her in, we gave her something to eat and then she fecked off again. We haven't seen her since. So cats kind of do their own thing, you know. We had a similar situation before. We had a cat that was sort of half feral and lived in the garage. He used to feed it and my dad was driving home from work and he seen the cat dead on the road. So he went out, got a shovel, buried it, came in, broke the news to us that the cat was dead and he buried it in the field. And then three days later, our cat was there looking in the window, alive at Shane, my brother. So my dad buried a different cat to our cat, <laughs> told us our cat was dead. And then our cat came back from the dead. <laughs> Did the cat have a lot of muck in its paws? Like, had it, <laughs> had it climbed out of its grave? Oh, yeah. And you said three days. Three days or so. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't show up that odd. Like, the cat would show yeah. up every three days or so. It was, it was Easter, <laughs> wasn't it? Yeah. It, it was Jesus. Revenge in blood on the window. Je- Jesus the cat. <laughs> All good stories have to be three days or seven days, don't they? You know, you never get up for two or four, really. Uh, so rest in peace, Fuzzy, and I hope the owners, uh, you know, move on to live happy lives. Yeah. Uh, fair enough. So now we have a brighter story about an innocent 65-year-old man in Kildare, and we'll keep some of these details anonymous because it's a core story. But this 65-year-old man had a flick knife, a knuckle duster, and CS gas for sale. I just love to picture, like, you know, the inch car boot. Imagine going to a car boot sale and saying, oh, yeah, there's the lad with the fishing gear. There's the lad with the, the adult movies in the front of the car that you're not, you know, you're not meant to know that he has, but he has them. Um, you know, these are the typical, like, oh, and that's your man with the CS gas canister and the flick knife. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, it's great to hear of Keith starting a new side gig during lockdown. <laughs> side hustle. What's, what kind of car boot sales are you going to with? <laughs> adult, adult you need movies. to come to Wexford. Inverted commas, car boots. So the man was very cooperative, and he was very reasonable. You know, he he had rules for these little knives. You know, he wouldn't have sold the knife sold the knife to a child. Uh, the gas could have been used, but for a wo- uh, woman's protection. And the knuckle duster was on sale for motorcyclists who might want to weld it to their bikes. Um, he has a habit of going to these markets. He made some purchases in Bosnia and Germany over the last 20 years. And the guard involved in the case said the man was an amateur salesman who just picked the wrong products. And the guard said the case was more about naivety than criminality. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. I'm just going to sell a load of knuckle dusters. Or maybe he didn't know there were knuckle dusters. 
yeah, what, I don't know. Maybe you thought they were um, sausage holders, or <laughs> you know, you can you can. They're handy little sausage holder ornaments for your sideboard. You can stick five sausages in there and just display them for the, vi- the visitors. I don't, I don't know how he could. I don't know how he could be innocently selling knuckle dusters. <laughs> It does sound like a 16-year-old lad who came back from holiday in Barcelona. Yeah. He had, like, all this shit that he brought back. He's like, here, I'll sell you a knuckle duster or a sword or something. <laughs> brought back in a suitcase. There's always a guy on, when you go on your school tour who managed to buy a samurai sword. Yes. You know, yeah. you're in the yeah. Alloway Caves and some lad... <laughs> Some lad in the bus on the way home pulls out a samurai sword. You know, where, where did you get that? And he's bought it in the gift shop. You know, the, the lad who bought five, the lad who brought five hundred euro on the school tour. You know, yeah, there's always yeah. one of those lads. So those are the three stories of the week there, and now it's time for flash flood. Now we try to give you a bit of the description on what flash flood is, Keith, but really. I don't know. Can you really describe a flash flood? No, you no, can't. You can't. Let's have a listen. Well, fellas, I have seen strange things in my 26 years going around the sun. I've seen a lot, a lot of mad jokes that I thought I'd never see. But what I saw during the week takes the biggies out of the tin. I seen Noel Gallagher and his high flying birds have they I've read up on this now they did previously employ a woman to play the scissors play the scissors in the band music is dead talent is dead if you have talent now you're replaced by a woman with a fucking scissors you can't even hear a scissors in the song it's that loud it's a good song by the way I will say that though but like you know if music is getting to the stage now where they might as well start appreciating bottle players like Fergal Mulhall on the large bottle and Jack Redmond on the two small bottles with the 50 pence piece that's the way things are gone now them lads would be as well off in a band as you're on with a fucking scissors madness there you are Keith good rant yeah <laughs> I, uh, I know the album he's talking about is produced by David Holmes and uh, it's not a great album I know <laughs> I know your friend there said there's a good song. It's, it's not great. I, I feel like David Holmes <laughs> might have been um, might have been under the influence of something. I interviewed David Holmes before, and right. uh, he he has an interesting. There's an interesting smell that comes off his uh, his vape, uh, <laughs> and it's an interesting uh, oil that he puts in his vape, but. Mm. Uh, yeah, he, he decided that for one particular song they needed a, this French girl to, to hold his scissors up to the mic and, and, and play along. Yeah. Um, and I think that sort of tip of, like we just want Noel Gallagher to get back with Liam, get the band back together mm. again and play a few fucking gigs. Like stop, like we don't, you don't need a French woman. Like <laughs> how far away from Liam do you have to go <laughs> to, scissors. to find happiness? Do you know what I mean? A, fr- a French lady playing the scissors is not going to... <laughs> You know, come back up towards the council estate, you and Liam in the same room, and you know, let's forget about the French people and scissors and and and, and the money, and go out and play some rock and roll songs again. You know, that's what, I, I I feel like Noel would listen to me, so that's so Noel. If you're, I know I know Noel is a big fan of the podcast, so Noel, if you're listening, I know all the fans just want the band back together again. Yeah, you speak for many of their people. What kind of scissors was it though? Well, this is. Uh... 
I don't know what kind, but he actually had, or she had two scissorses, James noticed. Okay. Two of them. Yeah. So kind of like, almost like the spoons maybe or something. Or was, or was yeah. this, was the, the slicing sound? The sh- it was, or was the it slicing the, sound, the I think, yeah. She's sort of just closing and opening the scissors over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. I've nothing more to add. <laughs> Do we agree with the flash hold? We try and bring I agree consensus. with James, yeah. Do you agree? Scissors are not a musical instrument. Yeah, I agree. And I agree with Keith as well. That it would be great if the two brothers came back together. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm all for experimentation, but he, he, he did go too far. Yeah. Scissoring is a bit too far when yeah. it comes to experimentation. <laughs> <laughs> are we on to wanking again? <laughs> Well, I think that shows the fact that you knew that he had hired a scissors uh, person, that, you know, you have to know your music inside out, Keith, uh, if you're a broadcaster. Uh, were you always keeping CDs when you were, like, a teenager or, like, uh, how would you describe it? Well, your... you see, when I was a teenager, we listened to tapes. I'm that old. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I had a Walkman and some tapes, but I didn't really, I wasn't great at buying stuff. I just taped stuff off uh, friends. But, yeah, I was always into music. Um um, never great at like remembering detail. I'm surprised I remember that detail, but it was just because I'd, I'd interviewed David Holmes and, and I had a particular interest in Oasis. But um, yeah, music was always a big part of my life. Um, and it's interesting because I, I would have worked on commercial radio for most of my life, apart from a short stint on Phantom, but uh, I never really, like chart music wouldn't really do it for me. But I thought like any, any show I've ever done would, would have had to we would have played chart music and popular music. So it's important that you're, you can't be a snob and you have to keep your minds. I remember a, a guy, uh, I worked in a radio station and he's, he would kind of try to explain it to me. He said, look, the music that I put on in the car on the way home after I do my show is totally different to the music I played during my show. And that's kind of the difference, you know, right. Um, you know, uh, you have to, you have to know when, uh, you have to know where your taste of music belongs and it belongs with yourself in the car and not really like you know i'm not i wouldn't be one of these guys that would want to get up at a party and change the music because i feel like i know better um <laughs> and i would always if I'm, if I'm doing a radio show i would always imagine that the charts and what people are buying they know better than i know you know so okay you have to stay humble as a broadcaster were you always drawn towards broadcasting um, I think I yeah. I mean, I do remember being very young and a friend of mine setting up a radio station in the in the housing estate. I grew up in a place called Willow Park in Athlone in um, in Westmeath. There's and, a Willow Park in Gorey here, so a lot of people identify with uh, Willow Park. Yeah. Okay. Is Willow Park a p- very posh estate in Gorey? No, 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 no it's not very posh in Athlone either. <laughs> um, and uh, so, so he had set up a radio station. And he was broadcasting to the estate, so it was Willow Park FM, you know. Brilliant. Uh, Brilliant. And my job was I had a I had to cycle around to, to, to the estate and knock on people's doors and ask for requests. Uh, <laughs> you um, were a promoter. The only one I remember playing was Dolly Parton for my dad, who was at home with a bad back in bed. <laughs> uh, I don't think anybody else gave me a request to play. I don't. Think, I was trying to get them to tune into the station as well. As, mm. as, it was, it was, I was promoting, I had a couple, I was sales, I think I was head of sales, I was head of promotions, <laughs> and uh, I was the first street, you know, these uh, street crews, what are they called, spin half them, the spinnies, you know, I was the first, street, I was like, no? the, oh yeah, the yeah. bees on the street, yeah, I was the first, uh, <laughs> it was Keith on the bike, Keith on the bike, <laughs> 
I was, I, was doing, I was doing the traffic from Willow Park, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, there a car parked two abreast outside the shop. <laughs> and from Keith on the bike became the the anchor of Breakfast Republic for mm. five years. That like everyone on this podcast will know you as the voice that woke up the nation on on the sound of the nation two FM. Uh, that's quite the the progression, isn't it? Yeah, like I was, I was, I was doing Willow Park FM, and then and then I got the call from RT when they heard my. <laughs> <laughs> I went straight to two FM. Uh, we We're going to do the same. John Keaton <laughs> and the three of us are going to do a show. Yeah, yeah. Just letting you know. Yeah. It was something land when I got that call. I was like, Jesus. <laughs> Had to, had, to, had to brush up on my desk skills very quickly. Um, yeah, look, it was, uh, I think, I, I, I still to this day think I got that job by accident. Well, kind of. If you think of Bernard and Jen, so they were doing Republic of Telly, the TV show, and the anchor on that TV show was Dermot Whelan. You know Dermot Whelan? You know he's on Today FM, Dermot oh, Day. Oh, yeah. He was yeah. the anchor on that show for a while. And then there was a guy called Kevin McGahern. Who kind of looks oh, yeah. like me, and we get mistaken yeah. a lot, you know, because he was on, he was the presenter on Republic of Telly with Bernard and Jen, yeah. and I was the presenter on the Breakfast Republic with Bernard and Jen. So he used to, as a single man, I think he used to cash in and go, yeah. So people thought I was having an affair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, I, I would be out there doing gigs, cheating on my wife, and uh, <laughs> Kevin McGarren would be the nice lad. But uh, so, so I think, I think maybe that the RT might have had the idea of going for Dermot and, and Bernard and Jen. Because Kevin didn't really have any radio experience, and maybe Dermot turned it down, and then went, "Oh, we, 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 I worked, I had worked with Bernard before, so I think I might have been second choice." But hey, you know, that's how things work out sometimes, and uh, it worked out, it worked out fine. We did five good years on the breakfast show, you know. Yeah, yeah, you, I, I really loved how you and Bernard worked together. It was, it was a great flow of energy, and you know, it was just so many laughs. Yeah, he was, uh, he's crazy, and. Uh, it was like trying to, um, every morning it was like trying to con- sort of tame a, a wild horse that you'd just taken in off the, <laughs> off the Mongolian, <laughs> the Mongolian plains or something. Yeah. But yeah, he was, he, he, uh, he, it was brilliant working with him because he just didn't know what he was going to say or how he was going to react or, or anything. But, but we had, we, we kind of had a good banter. We, we'd worked together on iRadio for couple of years two years i think so we had we'd created a good sort of we knew each other well enough to mm. to know i mean he would just constantly try to push my buttons and i would just constantly just get frustrated with them and uh <laughs> and that but that was that was the combination but it was good and jen, jen yeah. was great to work with she was a consummate profession you know you never yeah she just turned up did her job and what and left usually before the news even started at the end of the show she was gone Right. <laughs> she'd literally <laughs> she'd literally turn up for the two hours of the show. But she was brilliant for those two hours, you know. Yeah. And I, I suppose this is a good time to say that we I was part of the six to seven gang. Did you f- <laughs> it was uh, uh yeah, my grandparents as well. I I yeah, was yeah, on yeah. Roadwatch. Yeah, and, that's right. Uh, yeah, I, I just 
whenever I was only filling in holiday weeks but I just loved being part of it because you were instantly made part of it even though your your slot on air was only 30 seconds long and you were given three incidents of traffic for those half hourly bulletins you know you just know that there might be a bit of magic or a bit of spark at half seven and then it amounted to erotic fiction with Bernard O'Shea at half eight I think we did it twice but that as you said about the creativity there like you know this it just uh, what was it lust in lusk or something like yeah, that yeah I think it was lust in lusk it was about a, a, a businesswoman who fell in love with a, with a farmer yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and it was literally just that was all happening in Bernard's head and I think he, he got he got you to read it out didn't he chapters of yeah, the book yeah I don't. I don't know if you ever finished that book. I mean, I. I, I think I would have no. bought it. Yeah, it was kind of like Mills and Boone. I don't know if you know Mills and That's... Boone, uh, but it was. It was based in Ireland in, in in Lusk or Rush. Was it Rush? Lust and Rush. Maybe it was Lusk. I don't know. Uh, but it was about a very, a very, a very prim and proper businesswoman falling for a crusty farmer. Um, and it was a beautiful story. And you read it very well, Michael. I have to say, it was one of the highlights of the show for me. <laughs> I mean it. I know everything I say sounds like I'm joking, but I mean it. It's good. I know. <laughs> Thanks, Keith. <laughs> and, how your, um, and your grandparents were big into the show as well. Weren't oh they? yeah, they um, got up for. Imagine like they got up for six o'clock normally to commute, but they got up to listen to me and have. That's that's the level of. Uh, I never you know, heard this. Your grandparents used to. Oh, whenever I was doing the road watch bulletin, so they'd have to listen. So they'd get up at like, what, I don't know, you'd have to get up at half five to listen to the radio just because I was on for the traffic. So yeah. the Dunkettle Interchange and the roadworks there in, in, in the Atlanker Crossing, Limerick. So, yeah, I was normally on Lyric FM and that was much more, you know, relaxed, take it yeah, easy now, yeah. you know. Don't go too fast on those roads. You know, it was, <laughs> that was, it was e- easier for your grandparents as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More like, you know, you have to be keep it. Tra- traffic was tre- yeah. uh, trendy, you know. Tra- yeah, to keep it cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, keep it cool. Guys. Yeah. Don't call them roads, call them yeah. freeways or something. <laughs> <laughs> on the highway. Um, but yeah, with the, the six to seven gang was definitely because I, I started the show at six and then Burr and Jen would eventually get up out of bed and join me at seven. And yeah. uh, so six, seven, that had to be disbanded eventually because people started thinking it was a real gang and, and <laughs> we, got, we got involved in a couple of cat killings. So we had to disband them. <laughs> it was a guy, some guy who was in the gang had some huskies. I don't know. <laughs> All very strange. <laughs> you had some great music I, um, on your show actually this is show how you know how little of music I listened to I, I first was exposed to King of the Castle and that just got me wired at 6.25 wow. in the morning I loved it it was wow. brilliant dance tune okay. is it do 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 the king of the castle. Yes, yes, yeah, I do not. Yeah. <laughs> so it's that type of music, and you need that sort of community, I think, Keith, to wake you up. Uh, well, not wake you up, but get you going in the morning. You know, like, uh, did you? How did you find the early mornings? I know you probably did it with the Phantom and I Radio previously, did you? Yeah, and I was on Spin for five years doing breakfast as well. So I've basically done breakfast for the, the guts of twenty years. Um, uh, but yeah, you just like it, I mean, it was like having a heart attack every morning when the alarm went off. <laughs> but after that, it was fine. <laughs> yeah. Once you, once I got the defib out, uh, <laughs> shocked myself back to life. Uh, I, I was grand for the rest of the day. Uh, it was tough. It was it was tough, you know. But you kind of like like yourself, Michael. You know, when you're I, I don't know if you've ever kept those hours, Mark. But when you're when that's the job, that's the job. You just, you have to get on with it. You don't really, it's only kind of maybe when it finishes, you're like, fuck, how do I do that every day? 
you yeah, kind, you kind of look back. But in the in the time, it was a great honor to be presenting the breakfast show or any breakfast show, any radio show. So you're kind of like, you know, that's the job, that's the gig. You have to get to bed early, make sure you're fit and healthy, and you can get up. And and you can't be boozing during the week, and you can't. Be, you have to, you know, it does sort of dictate your life a little bit, you know. Yeah, it's a discipline. Yeah, but it, it wasn't. Uh... A natural discipline, and that's what you've been. Well, natural probably isn't the right word, but like, uh, you you've discovered that you know you probably. I'll let you t- tell your story, but uh, with your interview with Brendan O'Connor on Radio One and the Irish Times article, you know you've started to see that you know, uh, there's more to being yourself than just filling a role. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, like the thing. I suppose you're kind of like it's a. Uh radio you think it's kind of it's very important and you put everything into it but you put it you, you put a lot into it and it can be at the you know to the detriment of your personal life as well and it's not really that it shouldn't have been to the detriment of my personal life but it's just the problem with men a lot and some women as well is we just don't really like talk about how we actually actually feel you know so we try and the whole thing with, with, with growing up, especially in Ireland, I think, and probably other countries, just growing up a man is like, you, you get on with it, you man up, you know, if you're feeling like shit, you don't really tell anybody about it. You tell everybody everything is grand and you just get on with it. And that's kind of like the way we deal with things as men. And we don't really say, listen, this is fucking, like, this is really hard. I'm struggling here. You know, I need some, I need some time out or I need to, like, if I had my time over, I'd have started therapy a long time ago. Whereas... It was only when the breakfast show finished up and I had a little bit of time and I was like, okay, what what do I need to sort out here? Um, and I signed up with a, a guy and I started uh, going to see a therapist just to figure out what was what was happening, where I was at as a person. And it really, really, really helped me, you know. Um, and it, it really helped me figure out a lot of things. And I really felt like the way I dealt with, with dealing with doing a show like that, or for doing breakfast for 20 years, I really went about it the wrong way, you know. I really... Uh, you know, I was lucky I didn't have some sort of breakdown because I wasn't dealing with my mental health at all. Uh, any kind of feelings of negativity or uh, any kind of struggle I might have felt with doing a breakfast show or being in that position or getting up early or whatever, um, I just kind of pushed to the side or shoved back inside and just carry on, keep going, you know. You only do that for so long, you know. And I think, I thought I thought it was important for me to come out and just talk about how I, how how beneficial I found therapy, hoping that other younger men might, uh, it might be something that they do earlier in their lives and it might help them, you know, because like a year on from the breakfast show finishing up and I go to therapy, I used to go every week and now I go maybe every few months or every every few weeks or a couple, whatever, however I'm feeling, like the guy I see is Luca, give him a ring and say, look, can I check in with you next week? And uh, it's just helped me immensely. I've, I've come such a long way, like, I mean, uh, I think I suppose people would have listened to the breakfast show and thought thought of me in one way, and and I would have been mostly, but I think I was mostly just absolutely fucking shattered, you know. Um, and I think it, it's toll it took its toll with my family and the quality of time I had with my kids and stuff like that, and with my wife, and I really didn't handle it well, you know. Mm. And, and I could have done I could have handled it a lot better, and I could have handled it a lot better if I'd been a, a bit more honest with the people around me. If I'd have been, been a bit more vulnerable about how I was feeling, it could have been a whole different situation, you know. So, but 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 you live and learn, and, and that's life. It's it's about learning, you know. 
you spoke about vulnerability and uh, vulner- being vulnerable and you, you bring that up uh, a good bit and there's nothing more vulnerable than, uh, you know, going on Radio 1 with Brendan O'Connor. That's primetime weekend radio on Radio 1. And like it was a roller coaster of an interview even though it was 15 minutes and you covered so much in that space of time how would you describe how you felt afterwards like that that must have been a a a real vulnerable uh, point would you say yeah i mean i suppose i'd spoken a little bit about my experiences and where i was at and uh, my childhood a little bit so it was kind of like i'd really thought about what i wanted to say and how i was going to say like i put a lot of thought into it I felt very focused. Um, I so I wasn't, and also I I, I kind of did it in consultation with my therapist. So it wasn't like you have to be very careful as well. I have a lot of experience at working in media, and I have a lot of experience in working in broadcasting. And when, when you know, for me to be vulnerable uh, in that kind of space and on that kind of stage is different to uh, somebody else might you really have to manage yourself well because you can come away from being vulnerable and telling basically telling the nation you know stuff about your childhood and feel really sort of exposed and um and and I still did kind of feel exposed but I felt like it was something that I needed to talk about I wanted to get out there tell my story because I feel like if you're genuine and you tell your story and you can be honest with people that they will listen to you when you try and say look this might be something that you need to do and need to look at you know to other young men and that's the whole reason behind kind of what I did and why I still talk about therapy and mental health and men looking after the mental health in a serious way you know and I think you really need to you really need to tell your own story and be really honest with people for them to listen to you I really believe that you know so that was a very specific thing that I decided I needed to do along with the play that I wrote and the reason I was there was because of the play and that's going on tour at the end of this year hopefully fingers crossed just to be really, really honest and really get the message across. Uh, and I think that that's the way to get to men to go, look, this shit happened to me and it might have happened to you or, you know, or you might be going through something similar and it's OK to talk about it, you know. Just to comment on what you were saying there about um, pushing negativity to the side or, you know, just putting the head down and, you know, it's grand. Just on a personal level, I'd be more inclined to, I, I don't try, I don't tune into the much negativity. I just well, let them watch over, let them blow away. Would you, do you, how would you describe that habit with maybe, uh, you know, what it could be just compartmentalizing a lot of negativity and um, baggage? Yeah, I mean, like, it's, it's, I think as long as you feel fine, that's okay. And as mm. long as you don't, if it's not a problem for you, it's not a problem for you. But it can become a problem for people because what happens is if you don't, if shit things happen to you and you don't in that moment kind of deal with it or, 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 or allow yourself to go, fuck, this is, I feel really bad about this. I feel really bad right now. Like, I'm in the business where I put myself out there. So I will go for a job or a gig or, you know, television show, or you could be auditioning for something, or you could be asking, you know, looking for, to, to be part of a new radio show or, you know, you're constantly putting yourself up there for rejection. If you just kind of go through life and you go, Oh, it's fine. It's, it's absolutely, it's not fine that you got turned down. It's rejection. You should allow yourself to go. Yeah, it's fucking shit, you know, and allow yourself to sit with the fact that you're upset with it and deal with it in the moment. If you try and barrel through everything and go, that doesn't affect me, that's not a problem, that's okay, that's fine, then one thing will happen. It could happen to you. That, that is the final straw, as it were. Do you know what I mean? Because they can be piling up. So mm. Everybody's different. But for me, I, that was what I was doing. I was going, yeah, I'm fine with that. I'm okay with that. That's cool. Yeah, I'm 
grand, that's everything's grand, everything's grand, and everything just became grand, you know. So I just flatlined, you know. Mm, and when you're okay. just when you're just saying everything's grand, then you can never get too excited about anything or get too upset about anything. You just stay in the middle somewhere. Mm. So you, you should really allow yourself to get upset and say it to someone, I'm really fucking disappointed I didn't that didn't happen. Or, or you know, it took, I don't I don't mean confrontation. I mean like allowing yourself like telling yourself that it's okay to be pissed off and sometimes if you talk to the wife or the girlfriend or the brother or the husband or the or the best friend it's handy to have a therapist where you can actually just go in and go and vent and go i'm really fucked this really fucking shit week i have days where like i'm working at the moment on a couple of things as a project and i'm getting knockbacks and i'm having to re you know try it if you know you're knocking on doors and doors are, you know and it's it's hard but now I've gotten to a point where I have a therapist that I can talk to, and I also have a process. So if I have a bad day or if something bad happens to me in a day, it doesn't spiral. It doesn't become a bad week. It doesn't go into the next day. It doesn't go into the day after. I don't become like a pissed off arsehole walking around the house, stomping pissed off at everybody. I deal with it. Like So I have a process. So I, so through therapy, I kind of every morning I get up on a journal, so I write down my, my thoughts and my thoughts about the day before, my kind of hopes for the day ahead, how I'm feeling. If I'm really angry with someone, I'll have a little rant, I'll write it down. I get everything out of my head, do a little bit of meditation, and then a bit of exercise, and then I'm I'm off for the day. It means that if I have a shit day, it doesn't go into the next day, because the next day I deal with it in the morning when I wake up, and then I get on, and that's a whole new day. And then I'm like, Mm. okay, where where, where are we at now? Let's get grand. Mm. The rejection with the book or whatever is done with, let's fucking, let's start working on a new thing. You know, it's like everything, every, every, Every day is a new day. Bad days don't spiral into bad weeks, you know? Mm. And it's then, acknowledging and addressing the problem as it comes up rather than letting it get inside you, you know, where you could take it out on someone else and that's your release of that thing you're holding in rather than, you know, as you say, journaling, waking up in the morning, writing down your thoughts, getting them out. Those problems are addressed, right, on to the next thing. And you do a very similar routine. Yeah, I do the same thing. I write in the mornings first thing when I wake up and exercise. Well, maybe I don't exercise everything in the morning if I'm mm-hmm. training in the evening, but I always write in the morning. I get all the thoughts out of my head. I don't go into it with a plan. Mm-hmm. I just start writing and let the thoughts come out as they do, and I surprise myself what comes out. And then once that's all down, I actually work it out as I'm writing and as I'm thinking. And then once I'm done, that's done, and my head's clear. Mm-hmm. It definitely works. It's like uh, you become your own therapist, really, or the page becomes your therapist. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's really helpful. And uh, for anybody listening, you should try it. And you don't even have to, I think uh, the problem with writing, people think, oh, this isn't good writing. It doesn't have to be good writing. It doesn't have to make any mm-hmm. sense. You're never going to read it back. You're never going to show it to anybody. And it's just a journal. You just write on paper and you throw the book in the corner and off and head off. And that's it. It's not, it's not for anybody's reading. It's not. It doesn't have to make sense. It doesn't even have to be grammatically correct. You don't even have to put in full stops or capital letters yeah. you just just let let your thoughts flow and mm. and have a rant if you need to have a rant or have a little thought about like there's been times where i to send kind of emails to people and i've been able to work it out in the journal you know and then and then you sit down you send a very clear honest email that you know to somebody that might have been difficult before or you might have procrastinated with and put off so mm. so it helps you deal with stuff as well because you can write down shit i really need to deal with this i need to talk to this person how will i deal with them how will i talk to them you, you kind of write it out and then and then it doesn't become such a big deal and you're just like okay you just it yeah. helps you deal with stuff you know you surprise yourself as well what comes out yeah. things that you don't think you think oh sure I know what my thoughts are I know what's bothered me but then you actually write it down four more things have come out that you didn't know about when you started and then you resolve those you both really capture um, I think why personal experience is so important when we t- talk about mental health like I'd say for years Keith you've been well probably in a 
connected to maybe saying on there, oh, it's good to talk. Um, you know, it's mental health month this month. It's good to talk, Mark. Like, oh, we've probably always heard that meditation is a good thing. Writing is a good thing. But we... I, I was guilty of it anyway for the first for the last few years I've heard how these habits are so good but you you hear that all the time but you don't actually just take the time to do it yourself you know mm. and I think that's why your your experience Keith and the the value of um speaking and and, and um giving your honest um view on uh, the benefits of therapy from your own perspective are just in of immense value they can't you can't put a price on it because it's it's one thing to say it's good to talk but it's another thing to say it's good to talk and this is why i think uh, the problem with men is that we hear these things like it's good to talk and we hear about you know someone journaling or somebody going to therapy or someone and we think it's great you know but it's not for us it's great for all those people who have those problems you know anyone with mm. mental health problems that's great that that information is out there for them. we never think that it's us or it's directed at us mm. we always think it's directed at somebody else or someone we know and the, the thing about mental health is if somebody actually got i get a lot of messages from people and it's great but one one person sent me a message and said it's great that you're talking about mental health i know uh, my you know my brother has issues with mental health and and I didn't say it to her. I just, I mean, I, I replied and I said, thanks very much and hope your brother is, is well. And, but what I want to say was, well, you've got mental health. We all have mental health. It's not like, mm. it's not like Johnny down the road who suffers with his nerves, like we used to say. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It's you, you, it's your mental health. It's your physical health. It's your mental health. You know, it's, it's your health. It's, you know, don't eat too much shite. Try and exercise. And, and your mental health is important as well. And your mental health will feed your physical health and vice versa. They're connected. You can't be physically active and brilliant and not look after your head. It doesn't mm. It doesn't work. Something's going to give. It's They work together, you know. And running definitely helps your mental health. And going to therapy can help your running. Do you know what I mean? There's a lot of sports people now, very serious sports people, who would go to see therapists regularly and deal with all that stuff. Because it's helpful, because they know it's a good thing. And I, I think sometimes when you're talking to men, you need to say things like that. Like, do you know Johnny who plays sport, plays midfield for the county? He goes to a therapist. And then they're like, oh, why? Because it makes him a better person. All right, well, I want to be a better person. Well, if you want to be a better person, you, you need to talk and, 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 and be honest, you know. Um, but that's it. We need to we need to realize that this talk of mental health is about us. Yeah. And that's why I wanted to be so honest about it, to go, look, this is about me. And I'm... I'm getting on with life and everything is fine, but I want it to be better, you know. While on Breakfast Republic, you gave a great analogy, actually, that, um, you know, what we eat and we... Um it's like putting fuel into a car mm. and it, it, it would you put a breakfast roll uh, and whatever else in, in in a car you know i thought it was a really good analogy it stood to me um it, it, yeah yeah i think it's funny because i and i and i would have been a bad eater and wouldn't have been the best with exercise before and i think you know sort of once i got into that i would i would you know you'd see lads with lovely cars and they'd go into the garage and the cars would be pristine and they go to the garage and get a breakfast roll with beans and hash browns and rashers and they just, <laughs> and you're kind of, but if anybody, <laughs> you can imagine someone putting bad fuel into their car, they'd probably kill them, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's just a strange thing, you know, yeah. but that's, that's the way we are. Just, you, you've spoken before about intergenerational trauma and the legacy and that we all carry around ghosts. How would you define a ghost? How would you unravel that? 
Well, we all have these stories in our heads, like, and I was trying to describe them as ghosts, like people. Uh, and I started calling them ghosts because when I was young, I just remember there was a few, was a good few lads my age that died through various things mad. I don't know whether it was the 80s, whether it was because we lived in the Shannon, whether what the hell it was, but there seemed to be a lot of death amongst schoolmates, lads that lived in the estate, friends. You know, there was one incident where a lad I was playing football with and he dropped dead and we were in first year, I think, and he, he just died in my arms on the... I was really? on, 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 the, on the ground with them. And so when I was t- talking to my therapist, I started describing these ghosts because all these lads I still had them in my head I still thought about them every day and it was you know I just needed to sort of to talk to somebody about it because I'd never really I'd never really like this lad died in my arms in school I'd never spoken to anybody about it because the, the, the brother came out and said everybody back into class there's nothing to see here this kid had just died we all went into class you know the ambulance was driving out of the school while we were doing fractions and that was it you know, there was no counsellor, no therapist, no one talked. I don't even know if I said it to my parents. I, don't, I can't remember. So sometimes as a child, you, shit can happen to you and you just never deal with it at the time. And you're, it can, be, it can have, be having a detrimental effect to your mental, mental well-being and you're not, you've never spoken to anybody about it. So that's a trauma. And I, start, I was, suppose I was referring to stuff that happened to me as a kid as, as ghosts, as traumas, you know. And... And for me to write down these ghost stories and get these traumas down on paper was a way of me dealing with them, eventually talking to somebody about it, getting them out of my head. Uh, And it just freed me up, freed me up. So I was able to kind of to sort of start feeling like I like I I, like I should feel again, you know. So so that's kind of what it is. But your ghosts or your traumas can be anything. You can have a cruel parent. You can have a cruel teacher. A lot of adults in the 80s. Children are very much second-class citizens in my eyes. Uh, you know everything from 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 the industrial schools. Uh, we still had the Magdalene laundries around then. Uh, this, you could still beat the shit out of a child in school. Parents were allowed to beat the shit out of their children. You know we were second-class citizens, and there's a lot, a lot of forty, fifty, sixty-year-old men in Ireland who haven't dealt with those traumas. You know. And in your interviews, you describe that as violence. Um, I suppose when you use that word, beat the shit out of someone, well, that is violence. It's violence, but, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But for maybe people my age, when we think of, okay, what violence could have been in a home? Well, look, we, we've grown up in very, well, I've grown up in a very well uh, family full of love and comfortable family. Like, so I suppose slapping would be the only one. Would you view slapping then as violence? Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. like if you would walk, if you if if your neighbour was annoying you and went out and slapped him across the face, you'd be in trouble. <laughs> Have done. <laughs> but you'd probably be in trouble, you know, you might be oh, yeah. you should be in trouble. It's GBH, you know. So so and and a lot of people disagree with me. I don't like people saying I don't like seeing the memes online of the, you know, the, and I used to do a little bit of it, the mammies with the wooden spoon and all that kind of stuff, which really annoys me. I wouldn't touch my children in anger if you're angry walk away and deal with it and come back later and deal with it don't 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 it's violence you know you, like you couldn't imagine being at a party and well i suppose you could be and punching punching somebody but like that's a bad thing if you're at a party and a man punches another man or if you're in a if you're on the street that happens that's bad but for mm. some reason in a house with an adult and a child some people think it's okay so much so that 
you hear sometimes on the radio, or you used to hear it more often, maybe not as much, but, you know, we should bring back corporate punishment because the kids these days are too soft. Are they too soft because they're more in touch with their feelings and they're more honest? Well, that's not soft. That's strength. Mm. You know, and I think mm. this, you know, I think I'm hoping that the next generation coming up are a bit stronger because they're a bit more honest about how they feel. Um, but an older man might think that that's soft, but I don't think it is. I think it's just honesty. Uh, I think older people are afraid to talk about how they feel because of what they'll start and they won't be able to stop. Um, that's but, some sentence. Yeah. Um, like it's about a balance really of masculine and feminine really is like i think or yin and yang it's balance really yeah well, I mean, that's what uh, i think not necessarily anyway. feminine or masculine it's just about yeah. you just, it, there's we, we i think we also have created this myth that you know talking about your feelings is this new thing that is it, you know is a I don't know, it's almost like this Instagram thing, you know, oh, everyone's fucking talking, about, everyone has feelings now, everyone's talking about their feelings. I'm sure there would have been times before the industrial age where men felt like they could go to, I don't know, the, the local chief and tell them about his issues. Or, you know, I'm sure people talked, oh, we, yeah. we, we, men just stopped talking at one point. Mm. It's not yes. that this is a new thing, we need to talk, but we stopped. And now, and now we think that that was the right way. It wasn't the right way. Sure, look at the amount of male suicide in the country. Mm. Look at, like, look at the amount of alcoholism we have in the country. Yeah. Like, it's not good that we're not talking. And you've captured all of this and described it in those two words: pure mental. Mm. Um, it was your therapist that suggested uh, doing some form of writing, and I suppose that led to the screenplay. Um, you had the first uh, performance there. Uh, how a few months ago, back in June, was it? Yeah, so we had it during lockdown, uh, and when lockdown happened, they thought, oh, well, that's that fucked anyway. But in fairness to the Riverbank Arts Centre in Newbridge, they rang me and said, do you want to do this online? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. So we did a work in progress, which was half an hour of the play, what I'd written so far, working with a director called Janet Moore, and she's excellent. And we put on a performance during lockdown. It went really well. We had about 4,000 people have a look at it, which is great for a small theatre in Newbridge. Capacity is 200, so you wouldn't really get a, get people... You wouldn't really get 4,000 people looking at a play yeah. uh, from the Riverbank in Newbridge, which was fantastic. So we finished the second half. I still have a few little bits to write. I'm procrastinating, but I'm, don't worry, I'm journaling every morning. I'll get to it. Um, so the final play will be, we're hoping to tour it at the end of the year. I know that there's a festival, I don't know if I should name it, that's, that happens, a mental health festival happens at the start of every year, and they're looking to book it as one of the main, main things main attractions for that so we're still in 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 talks with them so we're hoping to hit the road and go on tour starting in november december and january um but yeah it's been it's been a great thing to come out of all this you know but 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 hopefully if it will get people talking that's the plan you know and it's a one-man show it's a one-man show yeah 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 it's it's what's that like Like, it's hard it's very hard (laughs) it's really hard yeah to learn like anytime i've been to to the theater before i'm mostly looking at the actor going how do you remember all those words? Um, and that's what I'm most impressed by. I think they should give it Oscars to lads who remember loads of words. That should be great. <laughs> um, but, uh, New category. Yeah, but an hour. It's an, so I did half an hour. I managed to learn the words of half it. So it's an hour long. And, you, you know, you have, to start, you have to perform it as well. But it's tough. Yeah, it's hard going. But it's, it's um, you know, there's times where I'm like, what the fuck? I got myself into but no, it's good. It's really good. And, and, and I suppose it's probably been a dream of mine to perform and to... And to write my own play, and uh, and this is good because it's, it's a great message. I really like, uh, you know, what it's saying, you know, what I feel like it's saying, and 
it's got a real purpose to it. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I really, I really like. It. Ultimately, there's days where I'm like, what you know, <laughs> where I question myself, but ultimately, I'm, I'm really happy with it. You know, mm. so it's good. Yeah. I hope you come to get to come to the southeast anyway. We'd love to see definitely. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 coming to Gory. Yeah, did they? Gory Little Theatre, I tell you. And what is lit? I'll do it outdoors in Willow Park. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> see how far they get gets you. On the on the green. On the green. <laughs> I suppose actually finally just Keith, I, I really admire how you um you know, how you are with your family now. You know, you're more self aware and everything and uh it seems like, you know, you've given your children the freedom to express themselves, um, especially with that article in Parenting in My Shoes. Uh, tell us a bit about uh, your family life. Um, yeah, well, so there's myself, Suzanne, and the two kids, Anne and Finn, and uh, they are, yeah, look, I mean, the the thing for the problem with doing, with, with, with the breakfast show is that, Everything is geared towards making sure you get up at your, when your alarm goes off at half four in the morning. That can be detrimental to your to your family life and whatever I was going on was going on with me mentally as well. I wasn't really sort of present, you know. I was kind of like I was there, but I wasn't really feeling it, you know. Um, and and I think therapy really sort of got me to a point where now, you know, I just I'm I'm just so content to be where I am with my family and my kids and. Uh, we have a very honest and open relationship and we, we talk a lot and um, we like, look, it's not perfect. We have our moments, but like mostly I'm just like, it's I, I, even, even the bad times. I'm just like, this is fucking great. I love this. Yeah. Um, whereas before I was very blocked and I didn't, you know, it's like, you know, you just can't really get in. Like my family might be having a proper laugh at something in the house and I just wouldn't feel part of it. You know, I, yeah. you know, it felt like you, you felt a bit fake, you know, but but that was literally just that I was blocked. I just I wasn't dealing. You said before about you know not dealing with stuff that, that if you stop dealing with stuff that's annoying you, you'll stop dealing with stuff that is making you happy as well. And yeah. sometimes children growing up, if you don't know how the adults if the adults around you are volatile, and you don't know how they're going to react. You you have to start minding yourself. So you, you stop using your you stop you you you. you, you your emotions become you detach yourself from your emotions because you have to because you have to survive because it would be too upsetting for some children to grow up in certain environments. So you just have to get rid of the emotions and just stay in a safe place. So it took me, I mean, it's taken me, I'm 40 odd now and I'm only now starting to feel like this is fucking, you know, I, I, you know, people ask me, am I happy now? And I don't know if it's happy, but I feel really fucking content, you know, and, you know, and, and very, very happy, very content and happy with where I'm at and what I'm doing, you know. So Keith, the game we have organized for you today is called The Asking Price is Right. So during the week I took the liberty of going into the other section of done deal and finding peculiar items and I would like you to give uh, your estimation on what the price of these items are. Is it uh, were you buying knuckle dusters? Or? <laughs> <laughs> I know a guy who sells them. Uh, so the first one then is thirty-one copies of VHS tapes of different Tour de France's. Um, the asking price for thirty-one VHS copies of ten euro. No, it's 50 euro. What? 50 euro for 31 VHS tapes. But then you can watch them probably on YouTube for yeah, free. You can probably watch them on YouTube for free. And who has VHS players anymore? VHS player. uh, uh, the second one then is the Sylvanian family's grand hotel, complete with car, three characters, and 15 other accessories. Ooh. 
it's not going to be cheap, I'd say. Is it a car or a house, did you say? Oh, it's a hotel complete with car, a hotel. three oh, characters. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> uh, 30, 30 euro? Nope, you went too low again. It's 75 euro is the asking Ooh. price for that. Slovenia family pricey gear. Uh, next then Keith is the Yu-Gi-Oh cards we have 441 cards with boxes and playing game or playing boards Yu-Gi-Oh I'm not really up with Yu-Gi-Oh but I'd imagine people collecting that kind of stuff if they have their boxes and they have 60 euro too high this time Keith I'm afraid it was 40 euro Oh, not too nice. I was big into you, you, my God. No, no. Okay. Only the GA sticker books. That's sticker, that was that? Oh, I didn't know we had them. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> uh, next, then, we have two gerbils plus a gerbilarium, which I only picked this because of the word gerbilarium. It sounds <laughs> like a gerbil coliseum. So. Yeah, that's where the gerbils go to fight. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, two gerbils and a gerbilarium. Like, I, I'd imagine that, can't, that wouldn't be cheap. Um, what's a gerbil I'm going to go for 50 euro all my guesses have been 50 euro very close to 60 euro oh <laughs> right, my next um, our next item then is a Venus slurry tanker what alright a Venus slurry tanker yeah so this is an actual so this is I presume is the tank that attaches to the back of the tractor or something is yeah it sprays out the slurry Sprays out the slurry. I can't imagine they're cheap. God, it could be a couple of grand, could it? Mm. I'm not a farmer. I don't know much about farming, but if a, if a small if a, an old Fiesta costs would cost you a couple, I, I'm going to go for two grand. Seven thousand five hundred euro for a slurry tanker. Whoa. My goodness. Yeah. So <laughs> slurry is made of gold. <laughs> This is a story on Michael's life. It's the Playboy of the Western world. Soft copy. <laughs> soft copy. <laughs> oh, God. Playboy of the Western world. I can't imagine you get much for that. I'd say a fiver. Two euro. Whoa. <laughs> it costs three euro to put an ad on done deal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and somebody is selling the book for two. <laughs> <laughs> Next then is an animal I um, admit I own before. So it's an Asian water monitor. It's the second largest lizard in the world. And there was one for sale here on Dundee. No I hope way. it's not the same one that I owned. <laughs> what did you do with the one you owned? I sold it so it could be the same one that I owned because it started getting too big and violent. So I had to get rid of it. <laughs> How big is this thing? Oh, when I had it, it was maybe like seven inches, but they grow to about maybe seven foot long. Wow. Yeah. It's a water monitor. Okay. I well it could be expensive, but then it could be someone trying to get rid of it. Uh mm. like where would you keep that in the bath? In the bath. Um <laughs> that would definitely eat a cat. That would definitely eat a yeah. cat, yeah. Yeah. Um oh two hundred? Wow. On the money, Brilliant. well done. Well done. Two hundred euro. Uh, I'll take it. I'll take two. <laughs> <laughs> Next is the Grand National Board Game. Oh. There's such a oh, thing. Gosh. There is such a thing, yeah. <laughs> How would that work? Uh, I don't know. Grand National Board Game? 20 euro? Double. 40 euro. Is it? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> second to last, then. An old style Cooper hurling helmet. Ooh, These actually make you better at hurling as well if you wear them. So. <laughs> <laughs> it still has the blood of the last year. <laughs> Uh, Cooper I have a few of those I can second hand yeah second, oh yeah, oh, yeah. Is it, 
and it's all if you said old style fourth or fifth hand I'd say like these helmets go through <laughs> okay. yeah smelly smelly, smelly enough um, <laughs> oh I don't know well, I don't think you'd get much for that I don't think it'd be a collector's item I have a few of them if it is I have a few of them downstairs Ooh. 20 euro <laughs> 300 euro you're sitting on gold Keith now Keith you know what you're going to spend the rest of your afternoon doing what <laughs> 300 Jeez. euro Wow. Yeah. Our last item then is a pigeon magnet. Now, this isn't a fridge magnet of a pigeon, but it's an actual magnet that attracts pigeons. And it's described <laughs> like, as having like a, extra like long a, like, arms. I can't show like you the photo now. Like a, but, uh, is it like a car being described as a fanny magnet? <laughs> <laughs> a pigeon magnet. A pigeon magnet. <laughs> <laughs> There's a few, that's just the men that stand outside Stephen's Green, isn't it? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, no, this is pigeon just some magnet. large metal contraption. I don't know how it works, but it's advertised as a pigeon magnet. Ooh, I'd imagine 180 euros. 65. Oh. Take your hands on that, Keith. Yeah. <laughs> Keith, what's your asking price was right on an Asian water monitor, so yeah. we'll have that to you in the post. <laughs> Do I win it? Do I win it? Yeah. <laughs> Keith, it's been brilliant to have you on the show. We've learned a lot. Yeah, oh, definitely, yeah. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's been such a pleasure, and keep up the good fight. Yeah. Will do, yeah. You guys keep keep up, keep doing the podcasts and keep going. And yeah. Best of luck with everything. Cheers, nice Keith. to talk to you again, Michael. Nice to meet you, Mark. Nice Mind to meet you, yourself. Thanks. Thanks a million, Keith. Cheers. Take care. Thank you. Good luck. Bye bye. All right. Good luck. Bye. See you guys.